0: Welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast, a day late because of the League Cup final. So if you're used to getting your podcast uh, on either a Sunday night or a Monday morning, depending where you are in the world, uh, then just explaining the reason we didn't do it on Sunday night UK time is because I was down at Wembley for the League Cup final. So that's the, the reason for it being a week delayed. We'll go back to the normal Sunday recording uh, next week. Um, I want to say a big thank you, of course, the sponsors of the podcast, Charles Louis Group, who I'm sure you know by now are an advisory business. Uh, they advise on development finance, mortgage advice, and estate agency. They started out their life as a simple mortgage company. They offered buy-to-let, first-time buyer, moving home mortgages, but they now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agents and an expert commercial financial team and a renowned mortgage team. So thanks for them for sticking with me um, as a sponsor. She's very much appreciated and that's why we can still go ahead here with the podcast. So uh, thanks very much, guys. And also, of course, a big shout out if you are a subscriber and you download the podcast and you make nice comments and all that sort of thing, you share and you retweet, that's very much appreciated as well. Uh, We have a team of people from Forever Blue who appear from time to time and also uh, ex-players pop up now and again today. It's all about the crew, so to speak. So we've got um, three members of the team, because I'm going to call Carl, who joins us from Washington in the United States, a member of the team because he does pop up from time to time. So you you are a member of the team, Carl, whether you like it or not. Um, we've also got Louisa and we've got Harlan. So we're going to start by talking about the League Cup final. Now, what I should say is that obviously that's the Carabao Cup final, uh, the sponsor's name, Uh, the fourth win in a row in the competition, uh, and obviously amazing success. I mean, I've been to seven of City's eight League Cup successes, um, and never seen City lose a League Cup final, the first one being way back Yes, I really am that old, in 1976, uh, when I was there to watch Dennis Stewart do his overhead kick after Peter Barnes had given City the lead, um, and I've been at them all now, thankfully, because I was down at Wembley uh, yesterday as well, I had my two Covid tests before I went down there, uh, and was able to get a ticket and get in there, and I tried to capture as much of the experience, right from the, the Covid test that I had, uh, right through to get into the stadium, and then. Seeing people getting that freedom that we haven't had for so long uh, on the concourses, uh, having a drink and having something to eat, smiling and, and uh, you know, some of them were not wearing masks, uh, most of them were. We were told we are supposed to, to wear them, but given that everybody had a negative COVID test and this was a government experiment, I suppose they expected a few people to mingle around and this will be part of it. And I've got to have another COVID test later this week, um, You know, and, and everybody else who went down in theory will do that as well. And then we can see whether that will speed up the re-entry of fans into stadiums. As far as the experience was concerned, it was amazing. I mean, it was such an uplifting feeling to be back in among people. You know, I mean, for the for last year, over a year, um, I, I've been with my wife and my son in, at home. Um, I've gone out into people's gardens in the last couple of weeks and, and met a couple of people. But by and large, um, you know, I've been away from people. I mean, I've actually, as a journalist, attended games. But even then, you sort of avoid everybody and sit on your own. So it's been a very strange feeling. So I can't tell you how how good it felt to, if I felt alive again, you know, to be back in a crowd, which is, Sort of, it feels like my natural habitat. Now, I don't think you three, I'm sure Carl wasn't at the game, um, but I'm, I'm assuming that Louisa and Harlan weren't there either. Were you watched it on TV? So uh, let, let's start with Harlan. You know, I mean, did it feel any different to you? Did you, did you sense that City's players reacted differently or were any, any different in the way that they played because they could see and feel the fact that there were people in the stadium? Yeah, hundred percent, Ian. Um, you could see the energy from the start of the game. Uh, you
1: look at um, the the two responses after after the the two um, poorer games, if you want to call them that, after the Leeds game specifically, and and after last week's defeat in the FA Cup semi. The players have kind of used the the anger and the annoyance of losing them games to their advantage and channeled that into a performance. And I think we saw that in this game yesterday, where we saw the annoyance of, of losing um, last week's semi-final uh, against Chelsea. And and it, it must have wound the players up, so they realised they had a, a, a second chance at Wembley, if you want to call it that, in the space of a week. And they didn't want to make the same mistake again. Um, Tottenham were never going to test us like Chelsea were. I always, I always expected Tottenham to play the way they did, to sit behind the ball, whether it be Mason or, or, or Mourinho in charge, um, and try and hit us on the break. And first half, it didn't look effective at all. We, we controlled the game. There's a period in, in the second half between I think it was 55 and, and 70 where it looked a bit like you know we, we were maybe giving the ball away stupidly in, in, in silly areas again, you know, committing too many men forward uh, and looking a bit vulnerable on the counter-attack. It kept breaking down though, and then we regained control and the goal came at the perfect time for me. It completely killed the game, and at that point we were already dominant again. He scored a fantastic, fantastic goal. Uh, from a set piece, get in. We've done it, finally. Um, and, yeah, it was just a really good all feel to the game. But in answer to the exact question you asked, Ian, yes, the players look lifted. They look more energetic when the crowd uh, chanted or, 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 or kind of raised the volume a bit. You saw the, the energy within the players uh, portrayed more. And, and I'm a massive fan of, or shall I say, I'm a massive believer that fans have an impact on performance. I'll go back again to the Leicester game, Vincent Company it was a very, very anxious football stadium that night. More anxious than I think I've ever felt. Um, whether that was the fact that it was dark, it was tense, the floodlights were on, the whole atmosphere was... was, was it's, a, it's a smoky atmosphere, They're right... You know, you know when you see, like, foggy and it's all... You know, the, 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 it just felt like it was all closing in on us and we, we might not get out of this one. And the fans kind of, instead of going doom and gloom, they, they rose up and willed Vinny on and... What the fans showed that night, I felt like it was almost channeled into Vinny's right foot. And as he hit the shot, he hit it for not just him, he hit it for everyone. And without the fans that night, I don't think he scores that. I don't think he hits it. I don't think he scores it. I don't think the players feel the pressure. And pressure from fans can be bad sometimes, but pressure from fans can be good. And yesterday, I think having them back in the ground gave the players the lift they need at a perfect time, at a pivotal time in a massive, massive season. We can go and do all of these now if we, as fans, give the players the lift they need and they can feel exactly what they deserve to feel, and that is the love from us all.
0: I was, of course, at the Chelsea semi-final in the FA Cup, and and it was a disappointing performance. It lacked spirit to me. Um, So judging whether it was the crowd that made the difference, the team selection that made the difference, or the fans that made the difference, a difficult one for me to judge. What's your instinct, Louisa?
2: Um, I just think it was a combination really of of all of what you've just said. Um, Definitely it must have lifted them all to have performed in front of the fans because, you know, even from when they they were young boys, they'd have had some kind of parent or some kind of coach or somebody on the sideline cheering them on, you know, from, from when they were really, really little getting into the game. And, I think that to just have sort of the staff around, yeah, the staff have cheered, you know, when they've scored, blah, blah, blah. But to me, that's quite clinical. Um, And it it must, I I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it could have caused some of them nerves. It could have caused some of them to actually be a bit uncomfortable. I've no idea. And I'm sure that if it did, one they're not going to admit that that you know that's fair enough but um I do feel it would have made a huge difference it probably felt just like we all want things to, to get back to normal no matter what you know I know that there are some athletes and sports people in the world that have kind of been carrying on with their business but it's still not been business as usual for anybody so I'm pretty sure that it was everything that, that you said Um, I do agree with Haaland, I do feel it was a bit lackluster at times and I was a bit fearful about it just being a repeat of the Chelsea game and I do feel that whoever scored at that point of the match was going to win it no matter what, so I was getting very nervous to be fair, even though we did have quite the majority of possession Um, and I still think we did look a bit bright but you know what we're like we're a city and sometimes we can just make a stupid mistake and then we're one nil down with eight minutes to go instead of the other way around so um yeah i thought it was great i, I couldn't tell though whether it was the crowd because there was only like 2000 there or something for us i think wasn't there i couldn't tell if it was the crowd or if it was still the fake crowd noise coming on I, I, i'm not sure i don't know <laughs>
0: What did you think, Carl? I mean, obviously, I know you've been to the stadium, and you know what it's like with with fans in there, but you're more used to more regularly perhaps watching it on TV. Did it feel any different to you with with fans in there?
3: Oh, absolutely, Ian. I think for the moment, uh, they did the uh, pre-match interviews. The fans were already uh, screaming. They were already chanting. They were already talking. You could hear it on the TV. So, yes, ESPN covered it from the US. But I'll, I'll tell you this. What I noticed, and I'll talk about the details, is... When Phil had the ball and Phil was dribbling, the, the crowd were like, ooh, ah, there was a lift. When Cancello would dribble through and pass the ball, you could hear the crowd kind of lift the lift the, lift the atmosphere. And when Bernardo was warming up on the side, you could hear them chanting for him. You hear them chanting for Sergio Agüero. You could hear all those things through the feed coming onto, onto the TV. There was a definite lift. And fans do make the difference. They give you that spirit, that verve, that life into the players. We were slick, we were sharp, we were on it, we were passing, we were crisp. Raheem Sterling today, yesterday, he's looked the best he's looked in what? A couple of games. Why? The fans were there. So for me, there is an impact and fans need to be there as much as we we, we, we can. And to, to Holland's point, uh, uh, you know, even if we lost that game yesterday, the way we played for 82 minutes before the goal, I was I, I thought to myself, we're going to lose this game. The way we performed, I was happy with that. Sometimes you can lose a game. You can lose a game if you played well. But the way we played that game to Tottenham, who always caused us problems in the past, they didn't get past the halfway line. I think Zach Steffen had one shot on goal that he saved. Apart from that, we peppered them. We battered them. Left post, right post, shots, left, right. Mares, Kevin De Bruyne. It was just beautiful to watch. It was a great day for the club, a great day for the fans in particular. You can see at the end of the game, Players going out to the fans and celebrating the fans, which I thought was, again, immense. You could see them feeding off of that. And more to come. Absolutely. I, I really
2: liked all the breaks that we made. I'm, I'm really, you know what I'm like. I'm really one for getting that ball and pegging it up the pitch and, you know, ca- trying, to, trying to catch them on the back foot. And I do feel we've needed more of that this season as a whole. And I felt that we did that. You know, in, in that final, we were definitely catching them on the back foot, definitely throwing our speed at them, and they, they couldn't do anything about it.
3: Yeah, Ian, is, is it fair to say that that performance of 1-0 at Wembley yesterday was probably better than the 3-0 at home that we beat them?
0: Yeah, I would say the performance just, I mean, I was on a Spurs podcast earlier today and they were trying to convince me that Spurs were in it and there wasn't much between the two teams. And I thought that's the most one, I actually said to them, that's the most one-sided 1-0 victory I've ever seen. I mean, obviously if Foden had uh, had scored instead of hitting the post early on, I know it's ifs, buts and maybes and other chances had gone in, it could have easily been 3 or 4-0. And I think one of the reasons why City are doing so well at the moment is because fans, players, managers, everybody that we're facing at the moment, because they were saying it in this podcast, are just relieved. They were relieved that they only lost one nil and saw that as a good result. That's in a cup final. <laughs> you are relieved yeah. to only lose one 0
1: You know, Ian, I mean, w- when, Wednesday night for me was was absolutely irresistible. I mean that. I sat here, right, yeah, I wasn't in the ground, I wasn't at Villa Park, but I sat here in my front room where I've sat for the past 14 months watching games, and I was on my own. Um, Jess was over with with, with her family, obviously we lost her granddad last week, rest in peace, Frank, and um, she was spending some time with her cousin who's took it really hard. I was sat here watching the game on my own, she was watching it with them. Um, and, I, and I sat here, and I sat there for 95 minutes, 93 minutes, sorry, and I didn't move, apart from when we, you know... Hit him on the break, or we, you know, when I needed to move, I'd move. Well, apart from that, I didn't go to the toilet. I didn't do anything until half time because I didn't want to move from where I was. I was enjoying what I was watching that much. No. Everything was 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 pristine. The passing was crisp, like Carl said about yesterday. Um, the way we broke efficiently, Louisa would have been loving it. Um, the intensity, the energy that we didn't show, everything we didn't show in the Chelsea game, we showed on Wednesday night against Villa, and that transpired on to the pitch at Wembley yesterday, it was like a follow-on. You'd have, you'd have thought that we'd have come out the tunnel at Wembley and carried on playing against Aston Villa because we approached the game in the same way. Um Whether Tottenham see that disrespect, I'm not too sure. But I think that every club in the Premier League would see it as disrespect because we disrespect people by being so good, Um, if that makes sense. I mean, we're not being blatantly and horribly disrespectful you have to be disrespectful by being so good. And we are, we, we, you know, it's not like, you know, don't... I remember as a kid, uh, don't bring your best player on a Friday night because uh, because you'll beat us. Well, well, what's it all about? Do you know what I mean? We're going to bring him because he's our player. Um, Saturday morning, look at them. They're playing the the, the, the tallest guys on the pit. Well, yeah, because we've got them. So the fact that we played so well on Wednesday night and the fact that we continued that into Saturday, um, sorry, into Sunday just shows me that right now the players have clearly been told by Pep and know from within that it's going to take consistency. It's going to take a lot of clinical, consistent, uh, well, you know, game management and everything to, to, to win all the trophies before the end of the season. Now, And the players are getting it and they're turning it on at the right time. And for me, in previous seasons, when we've turned it off at the wrong time, now we're turning it on at the right time. And I think that this team now are high on life, high on spirit, High on energy, high on desire, and very high on skill and ability. And for me, when you're high on all that, there's only one way.
0: Obviously, there was a big debate before the game as to whether Pep was going to pick a strong team. I mean, it's a strong team, whichever City team plays. I know that. But in in most people's eyes, his strongest team or virtually his strongest team, that was the big debate. I think he pretty much picked his strongest team. Um, And that surprised people, uh, because obviously the Paris Saint-Germain game is only uh, just over 48 hours away now as we're recording this. So did that surprise you? Did that worry you? I mean, Kevin De Bruyne at the end of the game, to me, looked a little bit tired. It might not make any difference. You know, they won the cup and that obviously gets rid of most fatigue and... There'll be an argument to say that, you know, playing against Paris Saint-Germain, you're not going to feel tired at all anyway. Do you expect the same tick Well, did it surprise you, the team selection? And are you surprising that type of team then in the game on Wednesday?
3: Well, so when I, when I saw the team selection, well, I expected Pep to rotate, right? Because conventional wisdom says he's big game on Wednesday. He's going to rotate for players. But then on second thoughts... It actually was a smart mm. move to actually play the best team because of the momentum it gives you when you win a cup against a, a, a rival, a top six rival, a good team, by the way. You win that game, you play the way you play. The performance and Ian, uh, uh, Louisa, and Harland is the key, not the scoreline. The performance, how they control the game, the slickness of the passing. Phil Foden was just—he reminds me of—he reminded me of Chavi and Iniesta combined. If you can ever have such a such a creature he was just delicious to watch on the ball off the ball crisp and so winning that game for me gives the momentum to the team for wednesday they can go into that team game knowing that if we play to our best we can beat anyone
0: anybody else w- wonder about the, the wisdom of them i mean obviously nobody got injured which uh, if somebody had then you would have had a whole lot of voices saying, why did he pick him? Why did he do that? She'd arrested him. Nobody's got injured that we're aware of. So was that the right thing to do from your perspective, Louisa?
2: Um, Yeah, I think they might. I don't know if people sort of are wondering what, you know, with Aguero, because at the end of the day, he's still with us. Um, you know, and he's still part of the team. And why didn't he start or why didn't he come on? Or, you know, and I'm sure there's questions surrounding that. Um, you know, maybe we could, you don't know, could could we have won 2-0, 3-0 with him on the pitch? Who really knows? There's no parallel universe. But um, I think that the way we've performed and the way all the lads have stepped up, you know, when Kevin De went through that. I think we can all maybe agree a little bit that Kevin De seemed to carry the team for quite a long time. And then once he got injured and was out for quite a few matches, it's like everybody just stepped right up. And then when he came back, people were then saying, Do we need to bring you back? Because the team are now playing so well. Well, of course we need to bring you back. Yeah, I mean, that's a bit of a silly question. But do we need Aguero back? Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of feel like, I don't know if Pep's doing it on purpose, but I kind of feel like that he's easing us into the idea of him not being with us anymore when he isn't with us anymore by maybe not starting him and not making him to now be the most important player on the pitch.
1: Either that, Louisa, either that, or Aguero is going to be his absolute sharpest for both PSG games and the Champions League final. Do think he, that do think he is, will
2: be? Do you think he will be though, if he's not actually getting games? I in?
1: don't know, but I think I think that it, over the next over the next five, which we've got eight games left, so we've got five Premier League, two games against PSG, and a Champions League final. So over that over them eight games, I think that it, it Aguero needs for me, probably he needs dipping into three Premier League games for at least half an hour, and just try and ease him in, give him. Depending on how the, how the PSG games are going, if we can afford to, to bang him on a pitch for 30 minutes again in the second leg of that one, we can do that. Um, and then he's ready for the Champions League final. I think I think that Pep starts Aguero in the Champions League final fully fit because then it's a lottery then. Then it's a one-off game against potentially Chelsea or Real Madrid. And Aguero, listen, the occasion will give Aguero an extra 20% fitness anyway. So if Aguero goes into the Champions League final at 80%, the occasion, the demand, the desire to win the Champions League that he said he wants to win before he leaves will give him the extra 20%. So if we can get him to at least 80 for the Champions League final, which I believe he's already at 90-odd now, then I think that he, his, his big calling card will be the final couple of games of the season. Holland, you're right, Haaland.
2: The, the,
3: the only challenge with that, Holland, is... Is Aguero ready to play the false nine system that's helped us this season so far? In the big games, Dortmund, Real, even Real Madrid last year twice, Dortmund twice this year. Munch, uh, Borussia it was a much of glad that we played. False nine, false nine, false nine, false nine. We beat Chelsea at the uh, Stamford Bridge. False nine, Liverpool. False nine. Um, yesterday, false nine against Tottenham. Is he going to play traditional number nine in the big in the biggest game of the season? Could be the Champions League final. I, I don't yeah, know. I get that. I do get that. But then you see
1: Aguero. He doesn't. He, he doesn't really want to play as a number nine anymore. He doesn't even want to play as a number ten. He does drop, so he does. He he doesn't do as much running around as Jesus or Sterling or, or, or Bernardo or, or, or Ford, for example. Whoever's playing in the you know in the false nine spot. But for me, he'll always be in an area where he'll he'll create space for other players to run be, beyond him and running behind him. And he's a fantastic for me still as a central figure in that forward line. He is the best hold up player we've got in that area of the pitch in yes. terms of the stability the the, the, the centre of gravity, everything about him, the strength that he's got for such a small guy. You know, lend him the ball. Just lend it him. That's all you need to do. Lend it him, run off him, bing, bing, bing. And Aguero will make that late run into the box. And at the end of the day, Aguero, for me, is the best finisher inside the six-yard box that we've got. And he'll score you a half chance. And to me, to win a Champions League, it might take one half chance at the back post. Similarly, and how, how amazing would this be, by the way? Do you remember Aguero's first goal against Swansea? Yeah. It was a back post tapping. Yeah. That's all it needs to be in the Champions League final. Imagine he starts his career at City with a back post tapping and finishes it with a back post tapping. That for me would be absolute magic. And that's all it needs, something dead simple. We don't no, need I, him to I don't I
2: him. don't like the idea that he'll come on later in case we need him. I really don't like the idea of coming from behind for anyone because I'm not that convinced City are great at coming from goals behind. Uh, we still don't haven't quite combated that as such. And I would like to be in front within the first few minutes, you know, our first 20 minutes, get one in, get two in. Then we can play around, then we can mess around, then you can do what the heck you want with the team, bring whoever on you want on, get the one or two goals in, get the upper hand, get the psychological advantage, and then we can go on to win finals and Premier Leagues.
0: How about this one? This is my suggestion. Aguero comes on as a substitute after extra time in the final with a minute to go, a bit like the change goalkeepers, one of them teams recently. And Sergio comes on to score the winning penalty in the shootout to lift the Champions League trophy. I'll leave you with that thought because we're now going to take this into a slightly different direction. Um, one of the questions I was asking fans when I did the vlog, and if you haven't seen it, I urge you to go and have a look at it on YouTube, just search Ian Cheeseman, Forever Blue, I'm sure you know the drill, and you'll see my montage of fans and and everything behind the scenes at Wembley. But one of the questions I had to ask people, and I didn't know how they would react, uh, was about Super League. Um, A week ago, we did a podcast as the story was starting to break. And in fact, at the time we recorded it, um, we weren't even aware that City would be in it you know it's a possibility at that point that they might not step into it so we were talking in very general terms a hell of a lot has happened since the last podcast I mean there are two podcasts that I've put up there on the SoundCloud account one with Kevin Parker and the supporters club as the story was starting and then one with Dante Friend who is the leader of the 1894 supporters group after Super League collapse so By all means, go and have a a look at them and listen to them. But in terms of Super League, for now, at least, it's dead. So I asked fans what they thought. Finger in the air this. And this is the, you could argue that the people at Wembley's today were the diehards. So therefore, most of those people are the more likely people who, frankly, if, if, if City had committed some terrible crime, would have still stuck with them. Uh, and, and didn't want to be too critical. I hope I'm not being unfair by saying that, but that, that's how I feel the diehards are. There were one or two dissenting voices who said that, you know, they wouldn't forgive. Um, and But the vast majority of the people there, who I spoke to, seemed to be, let's just move on, forget it now. City were last in, first out. They went in there to, to, to destroy it all. And yet since then, we've also seen Perez, the leader of it all, saying that, no, no, they're still all signed up and it's going to come back with a different idea. And the fact is that City didn't have to sign it. It was a 127 page legal document that would have been very, very complex. It didn't happen overnight. They didn't just go into it at the last minute. They knew what they were signing up for. And there hadn't been this enormous backlash. Um, they would have been in it now and and, and it w- they would have gone through with it. So... You three represent very different types of people, you know, different age groups, different genders. Uh, We've got a fan from the States. We've got two from here. So this is fascinating to me to hear what you've got to say about it all. So um, I'm going to start with Carl, because I know once you two have said your bit, there's something else that Carl particularly wants to take this on to. But in terms of Super League specifically and what you've seen unfold over the last few days, Carl, what, what do you think?
3: So uh, last year on a podcast with a group of Ch- La- City fans, last year I told them the Super League was coming. I said it's coming. I said that uh, Liverpool, United, uh, Arsenal owners are going to try to create the Super League. I said it last year. I predicted it. And so when it happened uh, last Sunday, some, two Sundays ago, I was disappointed. I was angry, but I was I was I was shocked of, at the incompetence of how this was, was was portrayed now hear me out i would like to compete with uefa and create a separate competition like the champions league with open an open competition where people can come and play uh, anybody Sheffield united anybody can play if they qualify for it with more money with more money with more money right but the closed competition is a disgrace let's put that aside the question is why would these smart Owners, CEOs, billionaires make such a terrible decision. What's driving this madness? Some people say greed. Some people say, well, their self-interest. That's a part of it. But for me, I look at the numbers. I look at the financials. And currently, we have a serious wage versus income issue within the Premier League. I have some numbers right here, right? Right now, the total income for Premier League teams is about $4.8 billion from the from the broadcasters. Ian, 64% of that? Is spent on players' wages. If you add in the amortization of the players' transfer fees, it comes to 84% of, of the income spent on that. City's profit margin pre COVID was 10 million. That's 2% profit margin. It's not sustainable. You can't have wage increases and income flatlining or marginal wage income increases. And, and what you want to Harlan, you want Mbappe, it doesn't happen unless income increases. These guys saw the opportunity of the Super League with 10 billion revenue potential and said, heck, you know what? Don't care about the Premier League. Don't care about the league Let's sign up for this puppy. It's dreadful. It's an absolute shambles. But then at that level, they didn't take the time to think through the implications of the fans, the cultural implications of having clubs in England, what it means to the fans. You can compete with UEFA if you want to. Make it open. Compete with them. Play more money. Get more money. But they didn't do that. I'm looking at right now, the the past three years, Ian, United's wage bill. 1890 season, 149 million pounds. This year is 178 million pounds. That's what, almost a 30 million pound increase. Cities went down from 145 to 137. Liverpool went from 122 to 136. Uh, Arsenal, 131 to 131, it's about flat. Tottenham, £86 million to £129 million wage increases. Revenues have flatlined that they've gone down with COVID.
0: Well, let me put this to you then, Carl, because you've made a very eloquent argument for this, and I don't disagree with the word you're saying. Um, Dennis Stewart, who I did an interview with recently, um, and I'm going to put this interview up on, on the YouTube channel soon. Um, one question I asked him was about um, whether or not there should be a salary cap brought in. Now, in the States some of the things that were being suggested about Super League and I don't want to get too overly complicated in this because there are whole different essences to this Super League argument but one of the things that was viewed by most people was that this was an attempt to follow the American model but the American model does, correct me if I'm wrong, have a structure of salary caps and obviously they don't have Uh, big transfer fees in most sports either it's done in a draft system so there are two very fundamental things that are different now Dennis Stewart who was in his union his players union when he was at City um, was was, you know an an advocate really I suppose for letting players earn as much as they can from this the short-lived game so for him to admit that maybe there needs to be a salary cap is quite a statement is that the answer to it?
3: Well, Ian, yeah, there are two parts of this, right? There's the wages and the income. There are two parts of the profit, the, profit, uh, the income statement, right? If you don't want to have salary caps on some way to manage wages and keep wages at least on track with, in- with income, you have to increase income. So to increase income without salary caps, you got to make more money. The Premier League, Champions League have to generate more money. And there's an argument I can make that you actually have the potential to make much more money, three times more money from these competitions than they are actually doing right now. For example, Premier League. Why not have your own subscription channel like netflix for family where anybody can subscribe billions can subscribe for it for a couple of pounds a month you make three or four or five x what you're making right now says sky and bt sport for example so the issue is one of an income issue and a wages issue if you don't have a salary cap you have to increase income because you can't get a harlan on mbappe increasing wages and yet income is flat
0: but it's if ramp- you go if you go for the, more, the, the increased income then inevitably we, as City fans, would see our club potentially thrive. But the clubs who just haven't got that fan base just go into a bigger dip. So the gap between those who have and those who don't just right. gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And me, as an old school fan, a legacy fan, as they call us these days, whilst I want my team to win, and thank you very much for winning the League Cup and all these having these great players, I equally want the competition to be a little bit more even. And this, and, and because that's that's the thrill of it that we could lose to somebody that we shouldn't lose to.
3: And this is where the Premier League has the advantage because the Premier League distributes income in terms of uh, TV money across the twenty clubs equally, right? But when you get to the Champions, League, you make more money. If you have more money available to the twenty clubs, everybody makes more money. So instead of four billion, if you have ten or fifteen billion and it's shared it across the twenty clubs, everybody makes more money. So it benefits everyone now you have to figure out a way to manage your wages because the wages will keep increasing if we don't have a mechanism to manage that whether it's salary caps whether it's a maximum amount of money you can spend on on, on, on player salaries there must be a way at the end to manage that or else we're going to go bankrupt we are going to go bankrupt. that's what's driving these crazy billionaires to making these rash decisions it's the income side it's the income side
0: and we've just seen City, of course, increase Kevin De Bruyne's wages. So uh, that's what drives this all up. Let me bring in Louisa and Harlan and to, to react really to what Har- what um, Carl suggested and see if you've got any other thoughts. Ladies first, Louisa.
2: Well, a few weeks ago, I just having a conversation with mum um, about all, a couple of weeks ago about all this. And I said, I can't imagine they want, any club with any intelligence, any people in any club knows what kind of response they're gonna get from this um, since since this became some kind of idea in in a backroom chat discussion. Um, Is it feasible to ask the question that they didn't, at this moment in time, they have no intention of going into this Super League whatsoever that they want to force the hand of the Premier League, of the FIA, of FIFA, of whoever, UEFA. Are these clubs trying to force the hand of the authorities to get things changed so they can increase their profits and bring in wage caps or bring in other things where it's fairer for big clubs and little clubs? So so my suggestion a couple of weeks ago was... I think the clubs are doing it to force the hand. I don't know the intricacies of it all. You, you guys are much more well informed about all this than me. This is just little old me sitting there at home thinking, if I really wanted something, what would I do? What would I be doing? Um, they won't listen to reason. They won't listen to all the things that have been happening over all the years. What else can we do? Oh, maybe we can do this this really obscure off the wall idea that someone's got to sit up and pay attention. And if nothing changes, if nothing happens, if it doesn't, if it doesn't force anybody's hand to change this situation as it is, then I can see a super league happening or something similar. But up until then, I genuinely believe that these guys aren't this stupid. These guys don't want to ostracise fans worldwide over. They want to force the hand to get things better for themselves, for all the city. And to not go bankrupt as a club, and for no no other clubs to go bankrupt either. So that's just an idea. That's not me saying, oh, this is definite. You know, that's just an idea, and I just wonder what you guys think of that kind of an idea.
0: Let's uh, let's hear from Harlan next, then. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was I was I was sat up on
1: the. I think it was like quarter to twelve, weren't it, on the Sunday Sunday night. Uh, I was at the funeral on the Monday morning and I couldn't sleep all night. Then obviously for obvious reasons and then that as well. It couldn't have come at a worse time for me. I mean, my head was on overdrive and thinking what, what, what's happening. YouTube had gone wild. There was hundreds of live streams. There was tweets going out left, right and centre. That's me done. I've had enough uh, tagging the club in it and everything. It just went mad. And that was in the first two hours of the announcement. So as the day went on, I was just keeping tabs after the funeral, obviously, and everything else and, and and just checking my phone. And I tried to stay off it on Monday because of obvious reasons. And then Tuesday, it was still there and people were still losing their minds about it. And obviously we'd spoken in, won't, won't go through anything that we spoke about, but we'd spoken. obviously had a little chat about it. And how do you feel, pal? And you'd ask me how I felt. and We we kind of shared a few views. But, but the problem for me is that on the other side of it, and I'm not saying this is my belief, but I'll play devil's advocate instead of you, Ian, on this to myself is that fans didn't really listen enough in a sense to what had actually been proposed because as soon as it was proposed, as soon as we were made aware of it within an hour and a half, it was absolutely mad people, you know, you know, you know when something happens in life, sometimes you can see red and you're not really thinking about how you approach that situation. You just annoyed. So you attack it and you go at it. I think that was what it was like for the first day where fans didn't really understand what they were angry about. They just knew that this was a bad thing. And that's what drove the annoyance for a while until fans actually took time out like yourself, Shaw Louisa, Carl, yourself and other Blues as well that were maybe more level-headed about the situation, took it to one side and actually looked through the details of it and thought, do I still feel annoyed now? Yes, I do. And I think there was that consideration that needed to be taken whether you were annoyed because it had come out of the blue or whether you were annoyed because of what it actually meant. But on the other side, um, I was annoyed, I was hurt because the fans weren't consulted and we felt like we'd been portrayed, and we felt like we'd not been considered. But at the same time then, I almost felt like we, being the last in, were almost trying to, I agree with Louisa, force the hand of UEFA and kind of go in with the intention never to actually compete in this, but just to go into it to add to the uproar and then pull out of it anyway. Now, I said to you on the phone, Ian, in our private chat, and this is something that I can share because it was my my opinion to you, is that if we'd never committed to it and we'd never been the sixth team in it, this news never would have brought because the top five doesn't make any sense. So had we never have actually put our hat in the ring, we would have never got the knowledge of this European Super League being a thing on the night that we got it. So we almost had to go in to get the uproar going, I think, because we knew, I think Farad knew that fans would would, 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 would lose their minds. Yeah. So we've kind of done it as a tactical thing to cause an uproar to them know full well that we would be the first to apply. It wouldn't surprise me if we already had our pullout papers ready on the night that we allowed the news to be broken. I think the papers to withdraw were already drawn up because it was done very, very fast. It was done very, very fast. I think that there was always a pile of papers there to withdraw from the European Super League before we'd even officially fully entered it. And I think that it was a tactical thing. On reflection, given time to think about it, a week we've had now. It's been a week since it had happened. I think that we always knew we were going to pull out. But it was a dangerous thing to do to play that tactical game because there are a lot of fans now that have revolted. But it was almost like the club had to do it and risk losing a few fans to get the end result. And as sad as that sounds... I think that's how it went
0: down. Well, Carl's going to leave us in a second. I know he's on a tight schedule, so I'm going to leave you to say a final word. Just just before you do, um, I'm going to ask the other two as well this. Am I to assume, therefore, from your answers, that unlike the supporters of other clubs who are now asking for their owners to go and really upset about it, the way you feel about City and the way you feel about the owners is that you're very much still in support of the owners because you're believing that... That this was a, either a tactic or it certainly that, that, that there was a laudable way that they dealt with it. I'm more skeptical, I have to admit, than, than, than you, you're sounding, because I just don't think that they would have gone into it um, in quite that way. But that's just my opinion. So Carl, you kick us off, and then I know you've got to go.
3: I, I mean, I, Louisa and Harlan, you guys hit the nail on the head. And to my argument, this is all about money. So, right after they submitted the paper to the Super League, guess what happened to UEFA? Guess what the report was? Is a report. You UEFA to increase line of credit for the Champions League up to 7 billion euros from 2.4 billion euros. Tells you everything you need to know. They knew exactly what they were doing, trying to force the hand to get more money, period. Because they know their lives are on the line. Without that extra money, there's bankruptcy coming for, for most of the clubs around Barcelona, Real Madrid, even Bayern Munich, all these clubs. They're in financial trouble because of COVID. Here it is, right here. You wait for to increase line of credit for Champions League up to seven billion euros five days ago, right after this happened. Yeah, and so then, where did up, the other five million
1: where did the other five billion pounds come from then? The money that you wafer lied about not having somehow miraculously appeared again because six clubs had
3: committed to a European Super League. Because investors know there's money to be made in this competition. If people are smart enough to figure out how to make it, you wait for have been pouring that, in getting more money. The money's out there. The question is, are you smart or innovative enough to get, attract that money? Somebody's backed them to do that. 7 billion euros from 2.4 to 7. That's 5 billion extra. And by the way, Super League was supposed to be 10 billion a year. So clearly the math makes sense. The issue is that they had to force their hand to make that commitment, which is now at, the risk,
1: at the risk of losing a specific amount of fans because it looked like a betrayal when really it was for the greater good of the okay. clubs within England and football itself. Maybe. Maybe. Right. I mean, I'm not fully convinced, but I am
3: more that side of it. Well, hello I mean, think about it. You are a billionaire of a multi-billion dollar organization, right? These guys are smart. These guys go to the best schools. You don't make stupid mistakes like this. You basically say, I'm going to trade off this issue and get a lot of flack because I know down the line I'm going to make probably two or three billion dollars more over time, right? Bad decision, but they knew what they were doing. They're too smart. They're too smart not to know what they're doing. They knew exactly what they were doing and heads rolled, Edward Ed with heads has rolled, uh I know Lee is probably going to get issues, they knew what they were doing and UEFA's called them back in and said okay fine you know City came back in thank you for coming back in but here right here seven billion euros in 24 in, in what in three days from 2.4. Math is clear, money doesn't lie.
0: Thanks for a very valuable contribution to our debate hey, Carl. Yeah. And, and thanks for joining us. Uh, I know Carl's got a goal now and uh, I think he's got to pick his daughter up or something. So uh, thanks for yeah. joining us.
3: Ian, I want to thank you for the opportunity, the privilege of coming on your show. I absolutely love coming on your show. And this morning, your interview with Talks for this morning was absolutely breathtakingly magnificent. I really enjoyed it. It was it went down well with my breakfast. Thank you very much for that. Nice one, Carl.
0: Thanks for your kind words. So that's Carl. the joiner, join from, us uh, from the U.S., um, he, obviously, that's, that's given us a lot to, to think about. Um, I mean, it, it might be that my mind has changed as well because uh, I, I'm certainly not fixed in my mind. Um, I'm a big fan of people who are prepared to listen to the debate, try and get as many facts as they can and then make, uh, and be prepared to admit that maybe they were wrong and change the mind. And at the moment, certainly when I was speaking to Harlan that he's alluding to, I was very angry and very upset and maybe I'd seen the red mist and and I felt that, having fought UEFA, um, and, and, and obviously I'm in the media quite a lot, and as, as Carl just mentioned, so thanks to him, uh, you know, and usually, not usually really, always defending City. And, it was, and I felt it was quite easy to defend City previously because when they were fighting mm. UEFA, to get FFP overturned, as far as I was concerned, I understood that and I and I celebrated that because City were winning on behalf of the dreamer in us all. Football's not fair. The money distribution is not fair. We're very, very lucky at the moment. We've got, you know, the best um, financial model that anybody could really have. Um, so on that basis, how is football fair? I get that, but still... Another club could dream, if FFP was broken, that the same thing could happen to them. So I thought the victory against UEFA was something to be celebrated. When they then jumped to the other side of the fence and said, we're going to go in the cartel and you lot can't come in it, that really, really upset me. I, I can't deny that. Um, time will tell now, you know, and and, and just the, the sort of letter of apology from uh, Ferran Soriano, to me, isn't enough. There needs to be action now. You know, uh, from 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 City and from the clubs, and I personally would like to see um, fan involvement. I mean, I know City have City Matters Committee, but I'd would li- like to see um, fan involvement at clubs much much stronger than it than it is or has been. Um, You know, I mean, I've I've wanted to get involved in the club for since I left the BBC, basically. But there's, and it it doesn't have to be me. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. But to try to get in there on the inside as a as a long-standing fan, a legacy fan, is very very difficult. Maybe now the doors will open. It might not be me, but it might be somebody else. It might be Harlan. It might be anybody that who's 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 a big fan who can try and get into the club and understands fans and have a bit more of an influence. That's. But that might have to come from government legislation because the clubs don't want that really, do they? Because they're all just about making money, you know, and, and, and profit. So, um, that's well, I my... think
2: it's, it's about the politics, too, right? Ian, because, um, if this is how Harlan and, and I have maybe you know suggested tonight, um, and, and you know, it's been agreed upon with Carl, I, I kind of feel like having regular fans in those kind of meetings would never work because these are this is just speculation right and this is just alleged ideas um and I don't think these if this is true and if there's any truth to the to the matter or to the fact there's no place for fans with those kind of decisions because the politics are a little bit too intricate Um, and you know I think some things If it's for the greater good of the club as a whole, then some these kind of decisions have to be made without the knowledge of, of regular people.
0: If somebody said to you, Harlan, you know, you can go in there and you can be the one that the club consult you know when they make big tough decisions etc would you feel complete and i don't mean this in a personal way really i'm talking more in a general way but would you think i've got no right to be here uh, these are billionaires i'm just an ordinary fan or would you champion the fact that you were be given being given the ordinary man's voice and that is in no way meant as an insult
1: <clears throat> no um no do you know what and i think i think i think it's about it's about knowing that a billionaire came from from a seed like everybody else um I think it's about going right back to the start and 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 you know for me we're all potential billionaires in this life you know just like in football um an opportunity uh, an injury at academy level can change someone's life forever if Kevin De Bruyne really got injured at 17 his best pal at uh, 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 again might have, might have made it instead of him um you know when he was at Genk you know imagine for example he gets an injury for Volsberg in that in that season that that he, that he was unbelievable for them in, in the Bundesliga. He doesn't get the move to City. And that's what opportunity is all about for me. Football is about luck and opportunity sometimes, just like becoming a billionaire is, you know, you don't put a lottery ticket on and and, and, and think, oh, I'm never going to win on this. You could win it. You could become a millionaire. You could become a billionaire. You could invest some of that money from the lottery into a business and become a billionaire. But you, it's all about remembering your roots. These billionaires that we're talking about within football People say, and I get this, they aren't football fans. And I know that it's a a multi-billion pound business, and that's probably the reason why these people are in it. But within these six clubs, and especially within our club, there are people within our hierarchy that have been football fans in the past, that have grown up playing football, I think, that have grown up among football fans, that should know what football fans are all about. And I think that as a fan, I'd go in and I'd 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 respect the people that I'm in the room with. I'd respect the fact that they are very successful people. You know, if I was in a room with Sheikh Mansour, I'd be like, oh my God, he's part of the 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 Abu Dhabi, you know, the Abu Dhabi royal family. You know, he's done really well for himself. He's been he's been born into a royal family. But for me, it would be about being there as a young man with another man, with another man, with a lady, for example, as well, and being able to hold. Uh, you know uh, 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 an analytical if you want to call it that and a, a, a cohesive conversation with these people and say well I'm more you own my club but I as a fan have more right to talk about what my club should be like as a fan so you're not a fan you're the owner of my club and by right you now provide this club to us by keeping it afloat because if you didn't look after it we wouldn't have a club to support anymore. But at the same time, without us as fans, there'd be no point in you owning a football club, because a football club itself is built upon the foundations of fans. So I think that what I would try to do is show that we have a mutual respect for each other for different reasons. I respect you for keeping my club afloat, and you should respect me for being a fan also keeping this club afloat by giving you a reason to own a football club. And I, I, I'd hold my own in there. I think I'd like to. I'd like to think that, um, you know, with with the opinion opinionated nature. And the, the, the raw passion that I, I, I try to, to channel and, and the love for this club that I that I, that I make aware every podcast I come on and every time I'm on Twitter and every time I'm in that stadium, that I would be able to hold my own in a room and say, listen, I appreciate that you are here and you provided us with the biggest dream that we could have ever imagine living 13 years ago. But at the same time, please respect our views as fans. And you know we want a successful club, but we also want our club we want an identity. We want to keep the identity, but we also want to be successful. Who doesn't? But I, I do think, yeah, and I, and I think that anybody on this on this panel, you know, I think there's ten of us now. Any of us could go in that room. Adam, Paul, Andy, Louisa, Amy, you know, and everybody. Yeah, we could all go in that room yourself, and 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 provide a very 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 analytical and eloquent, um, you know, version of events and said to them, guys, look, we appreciate what everything you're doing. But, but this is our club, and it is our club. You, you bought this club for us, not for you.
0: It's not a toy. Well said, Harlan. Um, now, a big shout out again to charleslewy.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, for, for supporting this podcast. And if you're listening to this and you do watch the vlog, by the way, I don't currently have a sponsor. And I did a vlog from Wembley yesterday, um, and I just did it because I thought it was the right thing to do um it's you know I I put my heart and soul into it but um I I need I need somebody to hopefully come forward and and sponsor the vlogs if I'm to continue next season so if you're listening to this and you're thinking you can play a part then then please contact me and I'd really appreciate it I'm going to finish this this particular podcast Uh, reminder we'll be back again Sunday night next week so that's when it'll go live um and by then, City will have played Paris Saint Germain and played Crystal Palace, the first leg, of course, of this Champions League game. And whenever I'm on uh, another broadcast of any description, and the presenter says to me, So, what's the result going to be? and asks me to try and predict it, I always point blank refuse because football is just unpredictable. And so I, I'm going to do something now, which is a bit naughty, because I'm going to ask these two, not not for score lines or anything like that, but at least to give me their opinions on how they feel about the game. And I, and I usually do give that feeling when I'm asked. So with Paris Saint-Germain now, as we are recording this, less than forty-eight hours away, having beaten Tottenham in the League Cup final, are you now? Confident and buoyant and and enthusiastic and feel that Paris Saint-Germain are there for the taking? Or do you worry about killing Mbappe and Angel Di Maria and Neymar and the strength and power that they've got and and wonder whether we're getting a bit too thinking about the final and, you know, while Aguero scored the winner in the penalty shootout in the final in Istanbul and taking our eye off the fact that we haven't actually beaten Paris Saint-Germain yet so I'm going to ask Louisa first because I'm pretty sure that we're going to get an enthusiastic rally call from Harlan to finish with. So um, go on, give us your view, Louisa.
2: Well, you know you know me as usual, I'm 50-50. So, yeah, I've got the um, nervousness that, you know, look, this is City, anything can happen. We've been in this situation before where I think we've gone into big games bit too confident a bit too cocky a bit too maybe even complacent a bit oh yeah we've just won this we've just won that you know we've literally just won a cup uh, you know one of the most important cups you know in in football and I'm a bit scared that we might go into that Paris Saint-Germain game or like yeah you know we're great we're fantastic and then they're 1-0 up in in 30 seconds you know and and we're we're on the back foot but in saying that, my other fifty side is saying, you know, this momentum that we had from the Villa game into the the final yesterday, you know, I think we we only need two more wins, right, as well for the Premier League. I think out of the remainder of games, I don't know. I think we've got a bit of an air about us. I'm I'm actually feeling quite good, um, and not not cocky, just good, just just generally, yeah. Let's do this. Let you know, yeah. I think we're going to win.
0: Alan, Nutt thinks we're going to win, so we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us. No, no, I am going to give you a chance, Alan, but that's what you're going to say, isn't it? Um,
1: yeah, I do think we'll win. Um, and, and I think the, the, the key thing in this tie is getting them away goals. Um, what I always said I'll, I'd like to do is face the side away from home first and always bring them back to the Etihad. They always fancy us to to score goals at home. Um, In the Champions League, I think what what people generally sometimes, not get wrong, that's the wrong term, but what, what people sometimes think when two juggernauts play each other is that it's going to be full of goals, it's going to be five all in the first game, it's going to be six all in the next game and it's going to finish 11 all and then whoever wins on away goals wins on away. When two big teams play each other, sometimes they cancel each other out. So Mbappe is going to be up against Walker, for example and Walker's pace will combat his pace, and therefore it's going to be a battle of the two, like Zahar against Walker at Palace a few years ago, nil-nil draw. One half was was Walker's and one half was Zahar's, and it's whoever can make the most of their half in control. Um, For me, it's all about imposing ourselves on them in the first leg, getting one or two away goals. If we get one, I still fancy them to come here and fancy themselves to score two away goals, which could make the tie pretty tricky. So I think for me, we've got to score two away goals, um and I I think that we've got to score two away goals and secure a tie as much as we can in the in the first leg and then hope to God that we can control them when, when they come back to us. Um because as far as I'm concerned, it's ours to lose. Uh but for me as well, Ian, um it's it's massive that we 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 are just that we believe in ourselves for me. We've got to believe in ourselves. We've got to believe that we are in a semi-final for the first time in. I think it's five years. And we've got to believe that we can we can impose ourselves. Let's not forget last year against Leon, we we feared Leon and, 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 and you know we, we played ourselves out of a of a Champions League quarter final. So this year we've got to show that we are on it, that we are ready, that we are us, we are city, you're playing us at your ground first. We're gonna to come to you and put it on you. And then it's your job to come back to us and put it on us, but we're gonna like we know we're not gonna let you put it on us. Um, and the other thing as well, Carl said something really, really good earlier on as well, Ian. And I think that the, the big thing that Carl said was that we played really well against Spurs in the cup final. He was surprised that we picked a strong side, but was happy. Um, and I think that Pep did that as a rehearsal for the game against Paris Saint Germain on Wednesday night because they are a similar side to Spurs in the fact that they play on the counter-attack, that they are very good on the counter-attack, but that they will try and control us. They'll try and sit behind the ball. They'll try and, um, you know, kind of stop us from playing. And I think Pep picked this side as a rehearsal for the game against Paris and Germain. Um, and let's not forget that Pochettino was the Tottenham manager. And this is relatively his team, not Mourinho's team, not Ryan Mason's team. This Tottenham team is a Mourinho team. Uh, is a Mourinho team? Is a Pochettino team still, in essence. And that is how Pochettino had them playing. He's gone to PSG, implemented his way of playing, and he's got them playing a really similar style to what he had Spurs playing, just with better players in different areas. So yeah, we should be scared about Mbappe and Neymar and, and Icardi and them types of players and Verratti and, and Di Maria. But they should they should be scared of Jesus, Sterling, Philip Foden, Sir Philip Foden. Do you know what I mean? And, and they should be scared of Bernardo Silva and Riyad Mahrez. Mahrez, he's got the ability to win us a tie with one shimmy to the left a bang into the top corner. Thanks very much for coming, Paris and your man. You lose 1-0. He's got that in his locker. And I think that if we look at it as a Pochettino side, we face Pochettino's side in Spurs. They play a similar way on the break. Pep played this team against Tottenham in the Cup at the weekend as a rehearsal for this game. I think he's done his homework and I think we'll be fine. 2-0 or 2-1 away from home, take them back to the Etihad, and I can't do the maths right now because it's too much for my brain, but I think we'll win, and I think we'll win okay. I think we'll do all right, and then it's Chelsea or Real Madrid in the final.
0: I told you. I said you thought I thought you'd win. I thought you thought City would win. So uh, I was right, (laughs) really, wasn't I? Anyway, thanks very much to you too, to uh, to Carl as well, to CharlesLewis.co.uk for being the sponsors, and thanks very much to you for listening. Um, City win a trophy. Um, You know, it it just continues on, um, and so therefore, you know, you come back from Wembley, or you you know you turn your TV off at night, you sleep well, and you think, you know what? It's great being a blue, isn't it?